Well, welcome to our last lesson in our series, What Kind of God? Before we start, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to watch these videos every week. I, I know it's gone a little bit longer than maybe you expected. We've definitely gone longer than we normally do. By this time of the year, this far into the summer, we're normally not meeting, but because we haven't been able to meet for the last three months, uh, I decided to go ahead and continue to produce these videos because my concern is that many of you, because we're not meeting for Band of Brothers, we're not meeting as a church, we're hoping to change that this coming week. Uh, but because of that, I really want to make sure that you guys have adequate, adequate um, teaching tools and are in the Word on a regular basis because during this time when we're apart, um, it's, it's going to be real easy for all of us to fall into some bad habits. And I think a lot of us are watching way too much TV and we're probably on social media more than we need to be. And we've got to be in the Word. So this is going to be the last lesson in this particular series, but we're going to take about a three-week break and then we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Jonathan and Chase and I are going to come back and we're going to do kind of a roundtable study on uh, the book of 2 Timothy. And the reason I'm using that particular book is because it's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, his young protege, uh, his disciple. And it's all about living the Christian faith as a soldier of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a charge to this young man to be faithful, to, to live out his faith in everyday life. And, and I can't think of any other book that is, is as appropriate for us during this time because I want each of you to understand that you're a Timothy and you have a charge from Jesus Christ to carry the gospel, not only in your words, but in your deeds, in your actions, uh, every day of your life. And so we're going to spend four weeks looking at that book and we're going to do it a little bit differently. The three of us are going to sit and talk about it and what did we glean from it? Um, what tools did we use to study it? And how are we going to apply it? And hopefully that'll help each of you in your study of the Word of God, and in particular, the book of 2 Timothy. So let's get into this lesson for this morning. Uh, I'm excited about this lesson because even though we're not going to cover an attribute of God, we're going to get a little bit more particular about what do we do with all that we've studied already. You know, we've been looking at this question of what kind of God do we worship? When we're in the circumstances we're in, it's really easy to look around us and wonder, well, what kind of God is He who would allow these kinds of things to happen? The unrest that we're seeing in society, the, the pandemic and the deaths and, the, and all that's going on, the financial burdens that people are carrying because of the impact this has all made on the economy. What kind of God would allow these things to happen? Well, I hope over the last nine weeks you've seen that we have an incredible God. Uh, he's an amazing God. And so when we ask what kind of God we worship, we've received some pretty substantial answers. And they've come in these forms. He's immutable. Our God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he, he doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his character. He's always the same and he can be relied upon. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what's going to happen before it's happened. He knows what you're going to say before you've even thought about saying it. He is all-knowing. And not only that, He's all-wise. We looked at this word omnisapient. He is a God who is wise in everything that He does. He takes His knowledge and He applies it wisely to this creation that He has made, this universe that He controls, and every one of us on this planet. We also saw that He's holy. We worship a holy God. He is set apart. He is distinct. He is different. He's not like anyone or anything else, and we are nothing like Him. Yes, we're made in His image, but we are nothing like Him in the sense of His holiness, His set-apartness. And then we saw that He is good. And under that umbrella of His goodness, we looked at His love and His grace and His mercy and His patience. All of these things point towards the God that we worship. And then we, we spent one week looking at his righteous wrath, a topic that most of us would choose to ignore, but we can't because it's 
a huge part of who he is. As a matter of fact, you can't look at the cross and not see the wrath of God. The amazing thing about the image of the cross is that it's both a picture of the love of God and the wrath of God. On that cross hung, hung Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless Lamb, in my place and in your place. And He bore the full wrath of God for our sins. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. And He satisfied, He propitiated a holy God, a just God. And yet, it's a picture of the wrath of God. And, and in that horrible Roman cross, we have the picture of the wrath of God and the love of God meeting and on it, provided by Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death, the very thing we needed to be made right with God. And so we can't ignore the wrath of God. And then we look last week at his faithfulness. Our God is faithful. He's trustworthy. Everything he says, he will do. Every promise he has made, he will keep. That's the God we worship. And so these attributes of God that we've spent the last nine weeks looking at are essential for us to understand who it is we believe in. And it's essential for us to understand everything happening around us and to us as we live our lives on this earth. But this week, I want to concentrate on this word worthy. Um, we, we saw last week that he is trustworthy. He's faithful. He's worthy of our trust. He can be relied upon. He is that solid rock upon whom we can stand and feel secure because of who he is. But this idea of worthiness, the worthiness of God is huge. So as we've looked at all of his attributes, what I want to do this week is talk about our attitude. In other words, what are we going to do with everything that we've learned about God? What will our response be to this hopefully new or maybe renewed understanding of God and all that He is in His character? How are we going to react? What will be our attitude? What will be our response? If you flip to the New Testament, the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is given a vision, and he's, in chapter 4, given a vision of heaven and the throne room of God. And he hears being sung this song, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Here is John hearing this song sung in heaven, of God, and, and it's all about His glory, His honor, His power. It's all about the fact that He has made all creation. He's the Creator, the Creator God, without whom there would be nothing. We would not exist. This world would not exist. And so he hears this song singing of the worthiness of God because of who He is and all that He's done. He's worthy. See, He's worthy to be praised, and that's exactly what's going on in heaven right now around the throne of God. He's constantly being praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. And we know that in heaven the angels are worshipping God right now. And it goes on 24-7. Even though there's no time in heaven, it's, it's a place of eternity, there is worship going on constantly. The worship of God. And there is perfect obedience in heaven. And, and all of these things are true, not only of the angelic beings in heaven, they should be true of you and I as His children. That God is worthy to be praised by us. He's worthy to be worshipped by us. He's worthy to be obeyed by us. And He should be honored by us because He is worthy of all those things and much, much more. Again, because of who He is, because of His character. God is worthy. Again, because of who He is, because of all that He's done, but even more importantly, all that He's going to do. See, those three things all go hand in hand. We, we worship Him. We honor Him. We praise Him. We obey Him because of who He is, His character, 
all that he's done for us in the past, including, most importantly, our, our salvation, but then everything he's going to do in the future, every promise he has ever made concerning our glorification and our eternity with him. God's worthy. And so this week, I want to wrap this all up with a focus on the worthiness of God. And we started out in week one with several quotes from A.W. Tozier. And I want to include this one. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, when we think about God, whatever comes into our mind is the most important thing about us. Then he goes on to say, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains either high or low thoughts of God. Now, we looked at this week one because it set up this whole series on the attributes of God because if we don't have a clear understanding of who God is, we are going to have a very low comprehension of God, a low view of God, a low expectation of God. But hopefully nine weeks later, we have a greater understanding and awareness of who God is because of all these attributes we've looked at. And we now have the ability to, when we think about God, we think of all the things that we now know about God that He is all-knowing, that He is all-wise, that He is loving, and He is good and gracious and patient, and He is faithful. And that should impact what comes into our mind when we think about Him, and then it should impact how we live in relationship to Him. So that's why this is so important, and why we're ending this whole series with looking at our worthy God. I hope by now you understand just how worthy God is, because of who he is, what he's done, and all that he's going to do for you. Now, worthiness is an interesting word in the scripture. And in the Old English, it was used to um, ascribe to God worship. As a matter of fact, in the Old English, it was worthship. And it basically means the condition of being worthy. God is worthy of our worship. He is uh, someone who has earned our worship because he has inherent worth. And because of his inherent worth, we should be pouring back onto God our worship, our honor, our awe, our respect, our fear, um, all the things that a worthy God deserves. He's worthy of our worship. And this is all throughout the Old Testament. We see in Jeremiah 10, 6, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. No one like him. That's, that's part of that holiness that we looked at. He, he, is, he is completely separate, completely distinct, and there are no other gods. There is nothing that compares to God. The psalmist says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised not only to be called upon for the things we need, but just simply because He's worthy to be called upon because He is a good God and a gracious God and a powerful God and all-knowing God. The psalmist always also writes, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's, he's worthy of our praise. Wor worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. In other words, we worship Him and when we worship God, we are entering into His holiness. You know, when the Apostle John stepped into the throne room of God in that vision and saw God, he was awed. He was dumbstruck with the beauty, the splendor of God's holiness. And everything he describes in Revelation chapter 4 is, is imagery that conveys the holiness, the purity, the righteousness of God. And we should tremble before Him because of who He is. And it should, it should create in us a desire to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 95, 6 and 7 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Don't miss what it says in that second line that we kneel before the Lord our Maker. See, He's our Creator. He made us. We don't exist apart from the gracious 
power of God in making humanity, in making you and I. He is our maker. But it's interesting if you look at the book of Romans, chapter 1, Paul has this to say about mankind, about humanity made by God, made in the image of God, uh, placed in his creation, surrounded by evidence of God. Here's what he says. Although they knew God because of his creation, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So in other words, they knew there was a God evidenced by the creation all around them, and yet they didn't honor him. They didn't reverence him. They didn't see him as holy and set apart. They didn't bow down before him and worship him. And they didn't even give thanks to him for their very existence. And instead, as he goes on to say, they, they decided to worship the creation rather than the creator. Idolatry. Self-worship. The worship of other men. The worship of um, idols. The worship of parts of the creation, whether it's the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, animals. Man became darkened in his understanding and failed to worship God. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, can do the very same thing. We can get comfortable. We can get complacent. And we can begin to worship other things other than God and fail to give Him the glory He deserves. And so that's why this is so important, that we learn to worship God. See, the psalmist says, let us worship. Let us fall down before God. Let us understand who He is and treat Him with the dignity, the awe, and the honor that He deserves. Back in 1647, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which, which was a tool used to teach children, there was a question that was asked, and it's, it's written in a question-answer format. And the question was, what's the chief end of man? And the answer is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Basically, man was created to glorify God through his life, through his very existence. The very fact that we exist brings glory to God. But as we exist, we are to bring glory to God. And we were meant to enjoy Him forever. But see, sin entered the equation, and with sin came death, and with death came separation from God. But see, Jesus Christ came to remedy that, to restore to us the ability to glorify God and to ultimately enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him here on this earth, but also well into eternity. That's the chief end of man. That's why we exist. So here's a question. How are we doing? How are we doing at this task that we've been given? But better yet, Let's make it personal. How are you doing? How am I doing at glorifying God and enjoying Him forever? I'll be honest, there are days I don't enjoy God. Not because of anything He's done, but because I'm enjoying something else instead of Him. Or I've just taken my mind off of Him. I've become distracted by the cares of this world. I've fallen in love with the things this world offers. And I've lost my first love. I've walked away from the very one who created me. And in doing so, I, am, I fail to give him glory. And that's why this is so important for us to wrestle with. How do you and I do a better job of bringing glory to God? A.W. Tozer says this, When viewed from the perspective of eternity, the most critical need of this hour may well be that the church should be brought back from her long Babylonian captivity and the name of God be glorified in her again. I love how he compares the church, the, the modern day church, to the people of Israel living in captivity because of their sinfulness and being restored back to their freedom by the grace and mercy of God placed back into the land of promise so that they might once again restore Jerusalem to its former splendor, restore the temple, and restore the sacrificial system and the worship of God. See, he's saying the church is, has been in this period of Babylonian captivity where we've been set apart, been, been imprisoned by the cares of this world, 
And he, he says we should long to be restored to the ability to glorify God because that's the chief end of man. That's the reason we exist, to glorify God with our lives. He goes on and says, to regain her lost power, the church must see heaven opened and have a transforming vision of God. It's interesting that when John was giving the, given the vision that resulted in the book of Revelation, he was taken into the throne room of God very early on and given a glimpse of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God, the beauty of God, the power, the splendor of God. And, and what A.W. Tozer is saying, we need to regain that vision. We need to understand how great, how beautiful, and how powerful our God really is. Otherwise, we're going to fail to glorify Him for who He is. So what I want to do is take the rest of the time we have together, and I want to look at one psalm. It's Psalm 145, and it's written by David, the man who bears the, the designation, the man after God's own heart given to him by God himself. And this psalm, it's a short psalm, and we're just going to take it verse by verse. And we want to look at it because in this, David praises God. He glorifies God. It's called a psalm of praise of David, but it's a psalm of praise of David to God. And in it, I think we'll recognize just how important it is for you and I to, to develop the habit of honoring God through our praise. And so we're just going to look at it together and try to bring out of it some ideas of how we can do a better job of doing what David does in this psalm, praising God, glorifying God for His worthiness. Well, he starts out and he says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Now, I'm reading this from the New Living Translation because it's a, it's a little bit easier read. He goes on and says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. So you see already in the first three verses that David is going out of his way to offer up praise to God in the form of this incredible song that others would learn and others would sing so that they too could praise God. And I love what he says, I will praise God forever. He makes it a condition, a, um, a pledge that he will never stop praising God because God is always worthy of praise. I will praise him every day. Well, how do you praise God first? And then how do you praise God every day? That's a high calling. That's a, that's a difficult task. But how do you do it? Well, first of all, I think you do it by verbalizing your gratitude. We are a very ungrateful people. God blesses us each and every day with health, with uh, food, with our homes, with our jobs, and yet we never seem to want to thank Him. You know, I, I try to run every day, and, and I turned 65 this past month, and running is a little bit harder than it used to be. But every time I finish a run, I'm always grateful, and I try to thank God that I'm able to run, that I still can run, even though it's slower, maybe more painful, but I'm grateful that I can. I'm grateful for my health. When my wife and I recovered from uh, having the coronavirus, we were very grateful for our recovery. Do you express gratitude to God? Do you reflect on and rejoice over His attributes? You, you spent the last nine weeks with me studying them, do you find yourself thanking Him for His goodness, His grace, His love, His patience? Do, do you find yourself um, thinking about His wisdom, His knowledge, His sovereignty? You should. Because when you do, you're honoring God. It doesn't have to be necessarily verbal. It could be in the way that we think. When you think on Him, you honor Him. Just as if when you're on a, a business trip and you think about your wife, you are honoring her. When you talk to others about your spouse, you are honoring them while doing so. And the same thing is true, true of you and I in our relationship to God. We can also praise God by admitting our dependence upon Him, by telling Him, I need you, 
by turning to Him, by calling out to Him, by seeking His counsel, by asking for His help, by letting Him know that you need His wisdom. And one of the key ways you do that is by getting in, in His Word, by spending time in the very book that He provided through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we might have all the wisdom we need to live the life we've been called to live. We also praise God by recalling everything that He's done for us, the past activity of God in our lives. When we sit down and take time to think back on everything He's done from our salvation forward and how He has walked with us and guided us, protected us, and provided for us all through the years, that brings Him glory. And then also when we celebrate His greatness and goodness, we can do that through singing. We can do that through um, writing something about God, by telling others about the greatness of God, what He's done in our life, expressing His greatness verbally to others. See, all of these things are ways of praising God that you and I need to develop in our lives. And they, they need to become habits and to become habits, they have to be done on a regular basis. Well, David goes on, he says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Look at what he says here. He, he, he talks about telling telling others, telling our children, the next generation, about God's mighty acts. He talks about proclaiming the power of God, meditating, dwelling on, thinking about God's glorious splendor and all His wonderful miracles. He talks about proclaiming the greatness of God. All of these are actions. All of these are things to be done that you and I can partake in and should partake in every day of our lives sharing the story of God's wonderful goodness with everyone one around us so that they too will sing with joy about the righteousness of God. Do you ever stop and think about the fact that when, when you praise God, it, it's cause for others to praise God on your behalf or to simply remind them of all that they have to praise God about? Praise is contagious. When we praise God, others are prone to want to praise God along with us and then to think about all that they have to praise God for. So all of these things are things that you and I can do, but probably the greatest one he mentions here is that we are to tell our children. Psalm 78, 1 says, We will tell the next generation about the Lord's praiseworthy acts, about His strength and the amazing things He has done. We should tell the next generation. That's our job. That's not the children's ministry's job. That's not the middle school director's job at church. That's not the high school minister's job. That's our job as parents, to tell the next generation about all the praiseworthy acts of God, all the things that illustrate His strength and the amazing things that He's done for us. I love this from Psalm 71.8. Now that I am old and gray, and I can relate to this, do not abandon me, O Lord. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. You know, I may be 65 years old, but I've got a lot of life left. And all during however many years I have left, I need to be telling the next generation of the mighty works of God. Proclaiming the greatness of God. Singing the praises of God so that the next generation will know. One of the reasons the next generation walks away from the faith is because they don't really understand our God because we don't talk to them about our God and we don't spend enough time praising our God before them. They see us go to church on Sunday and then they rarely hear us say anything more about God the rest of the week. And that takes its toll over time. As a matter of fact, when we did the study of Judges, the book of Judges opens up with this very sad indictment. Joshua and his generation dies off. And then it says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. What happened? 
How did this take place? In one generation, we see things change dramatically and not for the good, for the worse. See, their parents had stopped praising God in their hearing. They had stopped talking about the mighty acts of God. They stopped telling their kids about the miracles of God that took place in Egypt and all during the wilderness wanderings and as they conquered the land of promise given to them by God. And they also stopped have, having stories to tell about the things God was doing currently in their lives. They stopped singing the praises of God. And so the children lost a knowledge of God. They distanced from God. And here's the thing you and I need to understand. And it's, it's as true now as it was then. When we stop rejoicing in God's worth, the next generation will end up rejecting his existence. They'll just forget he's around and they'll be drawn to replacement gods. They'll worship the God of government, the God of money, the God of pleasure, the God of prosperity. They will find another God. They'll worship the God of social justice. If we don't sing his praises, they'll end up rejecting him because they'll forget who he is. Well, David goes on, he says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Now, you should notice there that those are all attributes of God that we looked at. Mercy, compassion, patience, love, goodness. Those are the, the attributes of God. And David is, is speaking them there. He's reminding the listeners, the readers of this psalm, the singers of this psalm, of just how great their God is. Then he goes on and says, He showers compassion on all His creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord. And your faithful followers were what? will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and the glory of your reign. See, see again, there's action involved in, in, in this that we are to thank the Lord. We are to praise the Lord. We are to speak of the glory of the Lord. We are to give examples from our own lives of the power of God. And we're to tell everyone about the mighty deeds of God. See, that's what we're called to do. To be thankful. To offer up praise. To speak constantly of who God is. And to give examples from our own lives of all that He's done. Telling everyone who will listen of the mighty deeds and the majesty and the glory of our King God. Those are some strong charges for you and I. But why wouldn't we? What prevents us from doing that? Why wouldn't we tell? See, when was the last time you bragged on God? When you told somebody else about what God's done in your life. When you get together with your friends, when you get together for small group, and I know we haven't been able to have small group, but when we do again, don't let it be like it probably usually is where you talk about sports and you talk about politics and then you go through the lesson, but you never stop and brag on God for what He's done in your life that preceding week, that preceding month. Brag on God. Sing His praises. How often do your children hear you praise God for what He's done, for His activities in your life? How often are you able to sit down with your kids at dinner time and talk about something that happened that day for which God deserves glory and honor and praise? See, if we don't have those things to say, pretty soon our God becomes nebulous, ethereal, some character in an old book that has no relevance to everyday life. That's why this is so important. And here's something to remember. Are your stories personal, relevant, and recent. See, for a lot of us, we can tell a lot of stories, but they all come out of the Bible. Nothing wrong with that. That's what the Bible's there for. But, but what stories do you have to tell about God's activity in your life, in your day, in your week? 
See, those are the kind of things that our children need to hear. Those are the kind of things that the lost around us need to hear. When we can testify to the greatness, the goodness, the power, the wisdom, the sovereignty of our God, our God becomes real and relevant. So we need to learn to praise Him, providing personal examples from everyday life of His power. And when we do, people will sit up and take notice. Our kids will begin to see God as not some distant deity, some disconnected judge in the sky, but as a father who loves them because that same father loves their parents. Well, David goes on and he says, Your kingdom, God, is an everlasting kingdom. You you rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps His promises. He is gracious in all He does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts up those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope, and you give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. See, here's David singing once again the praises of God by reiterating the, the character of God, the nature of God that He keeps His promises, that He's gracious, that He helps those who have fallen and find themselves in need. He lifts up those who who are bearing heavy loads because He's a loving, compassionate God. And He says, the eyes of all look to you in hope. God is the one we should look to. He's the one we should rely on. And when we do, He provides. You give them the food they need. You open your hand. But again, here's a question you need to be confronted with. Do you look to God in hope? When things get tough, do do you truly look to God in hope? Or do you look to God in despair? Do you look to God desperate, wondering if He's going to do anything? Questioning whether He's going to come through? See, what the psalmist says, what David says is that we are to look to God in hope. Do you, do you know and trust in the promises of God that He'll never leave you or forsake you, that He will meet your every need, that everything you need for life and godliness, God will provide for you, has provided for you? Do you find your strength in Him or do you tend to turn to someone else or somewhere else and place your trust in something else? Or do you find satisfaction in Him? See, these questions are extremely important, and we need to wrestle with them, because the answer to these questions is going to reveal whether or not we truly believe God is who He says He is. Well, as we wrap this up, David continues to praise God. And he says, the Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. He grants the desires of all who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. See, once again, we have in here a a myriad of, of the attributes of God. His kindness his closeness, His eminence. He's he's not a distant God. He lives among us. He cares for us. He grants the desires of our heart. He hears our cries for help. See, David wants those who claim to be followers of God, believers in God, to understand these things about God. Otherwise, you really don't have a belief in God. And it's important that we recognize all these things, that the Lord is righteous. He is filled with kindness. He is close to all those who call on Him. He grants the desires that we express to Him when we're going through fear and doubt and concern. He hears our cries when we're going through despair, when we don't know what to do, and He protects us. Why? Because He loves us. All of these things are true about God, including that He destroys the wicked. So when we live in this world, when the wicked seem to be prospering, when evil seems to be 
um, growing in intensity, we can rest assured that the day will come, because God is faithful, when the wicked will get their just reward. See, all these things about God are true, but do you believe it? Do you believe everything that David just said? And if so, does your life reflect it? Do you live like you believe it? See, when we panic, when we fear, when we despair, when we grow despondent, when we suffer depression, when we uh, wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, we are basically illustrating the fact that we don't believe these things about God. And here's a real question. Even if you say you do, what would your family members say? What would your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors say about you? Would they say you believe these things? Or would they say that you seem to be a very panicked, worried, self-reliant individual who doesn't seem to trust in God very much at all? Once again, we can say all kinds of things that we believe about God, but it has to show up in our behavior. You see, your God, according to David, is worthy of praise, honor, and worship. So why don't you offer it? Why don't I offer it on a more regular basis? And here's a very convicting thought. When you fail to do so, your silence is deafening, and it's also defaming. See, when I don't praise God, I'm defaming God. When I don't give God glory, I am robbing God of glory. I'm not making him any less glorious, but I am basically failing to do the very thing that I was created to do to bring God glory. And when I keep my mouth shut and when I fail to recognize all that he's done for me, I am defaming the one who made me. And I can't think of a worse thing for you and I to do than to stay silent and in doing so, defaming the very one we say we love and believe in, the one who's done so much for us. So David wraps us all up by saying, I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. I will praise the Lord. You see, your praise of God is your greatest testimony. And when we praise God, it reveals that we truly believe in God. But again, silence renders God invisible to the lost. When we don't talk about God, we don't stand out as those who believe in and trust in God. We look like everyone else around us. And our God becomes invisible. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? How do we tell them? Through our praise, through our giving God glory, by telling of His mighty works, by re recalling and re recounting all the great things that He has done for, for us, from our salvation to every step along the way in our ongoing sanctification. That's giving God glory and telling others about who He is. So once again, I want to quote A.W. Tozier. He says, The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify an elevator concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him and of her. See, we've got a job cut out for us. We have a high calling. We are to live in such a way that we will glorify God through our speech, through our actions, through our attitudes, how we handle ourselves during this time of unrest and uncertainty, but also in the way that we praise God constantly, verbally, for all that He is, all that He's done, and all that He's going to do. Now, before we go to the discussion questions for this final lesson, I want you to listen to a song. It's called The King in All His Beauty. And it's written by a friend of mine, Matt Boswell. And I just want you to look at the lyrics as you listen to them being sung. And I want you to think about the beauty of Christ. And to set up what Matt is going to sing, 
I want to read to you from, again, the last book in the Bible. We've been talking about the glory of God and how God is worthy of glory. But as we fast forward into the final book of the entire Bible, in John's revelation of the things to come, he again is taken into the throne room of heaven. And here's what he sees. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language, people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all, all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Listen to this song.
Well, I hope that song ministered to you as much as it did to me. I actually listened to it this morning as I was running and was reminded of the fact that our God is worthy of our praise. And one of the reasons He's so worthy of our praise is that He sent His Son, the Lamb, the sinless Lamb, to die on the cross in our place. And His Son, because of all that He did for us, is also worthy of praise and worthy of glory and worthy of honor. They're worthy and we should praise them. Well, here's your discussion questions for this final lesson. The first one is, in what ways has your life failed to acknowledge the worth of God? This is a little personal. Uh, it's going to require that you do some thinking and that you're very honest with yourself and with whoever you choose to discuss these questions with. But how has your life failed to acknowledge the worth of God? Secondly, what are some specific ways you can begin to honor, praise, and celebrate God's worth in your daily life? We covered some of them in today's lesson. But what are you going to do? What are some specific things you're going to do to celebrate and praise God in your life? Finally, I want you to go back and I want you to take some time to reread Psalm 145. And I want you to consider it and read it out loud, making it a personal prayer to God. Read it to Him. Take the words of David and make them your own and praise God for who He is, all that He's done, and all that He's going to do. And then let's all make it a habit to celebrate the worthiness of God each and every day of our lives. Father, I thank You for this final lesson. I thank You for this incredible reminder from the pen of David of just how worthy You are, how great You are. And would You help me, Father, to consider your greatness each and every day and to express it not only to you but to all those around me to remind both fellow believers in Christ and those outside of Christ how great my God is how worthy my God is of my praise and glory and honor for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you will do in my life and in theirs Lord I pray your blessing on each and every one watching this video and I Pray you would continue to guide them, protect them, and draw them closer and closer to you as they learn more and more about you in the days ahead. And we pray all of this in the name of the Lamb of God, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is worthy to be praised. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great week, and we will be back in about three weeks with a new series on 2 Timothy. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a great day. Bye.